0: So if we actually back up a little, as we went through the kind of the Holy Spirit and how it was poured out in amazing ways in the beginning of Acts 2 there and, and how the church continued daily in and, and, and the doctrine and prayer and, and communion and, and breaking of bread together and those things, there was in verse 42 this kind of little blurb here, and I believe Luke kind of expands on that. It says, Acts uh, 2.42, it says, They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, and breaking of bread, and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many signs and wonders were done through the apostles. And so you have this many signs and wonders. He kind of just threw that out there and kind of continued on and, and put that there. But the first question is, like, what signs and wonders, right? Like, what was going on, you know? And, and this morning when we pick up Acts, you know, Um, Luke kind of goes, you know, I'm glad you asked the question, because he's going to answer it. He's going to show us something that happened. He's going to give us an account of something that happened. And and those signs and wonders, when we look at them, when we look at that account of kind of what has happened there, um, we kind of see some important things or or, or, or important ingredients, I believe, into what was going on. And, And the first one really is that there was a fear that came upon every soul in the church of the fellowship there. There was a reverence... And a seriousness thing for the things of God. There wasn't a, um, a lightheartedness about it. They had a sobriety in their lives about God and the things that were going on, and and what it meant and the, and the change. There was a real sobriety in it. The seriousness of it. It wasn't um, just you know they didn't join a membership at a club and it was you know oh it's fun until we get off this boat. There was a reality, a life change, a sobriety to it. And so with that heart and those things that they come into it, Luke shares this account and, um, and there's a couple people involved in this account. We have Peter and John and we're going to see what they had and what they could offer in a sense. We have a lame man who was expecting something and we have Jesus, the Lord, the Holy Spirit working through the situation and what he was doing. And so we're going to kind of, kind of look at those three important things. In verse one, or so Acts chapter three, verse one, it says, "Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the at the, the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a certain lame man from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, and he asked alms from those who entered the temple." And so there's this man. He's there. He's carried in front of this gate. The gate was called beautiful. It was it was made of brass. And even though it was brass and not gold, it was so ornately done and beautiful. It was better and more considered more beautiful than the other gates. And, and for that reason, it would get more of the traffic, you know, going into the temple. It was a good location for this man to be. As a beggar, he was you know, a beggar from birth, so, you know, it wasn't like um, his situation, you know, you would have to feel bad for him. He never had a say in it. It wasn't an action he took that hurt himself. It wasn't, you know, his wife didn't tell him, hey, don't do that before it happened. Um, you know, he was in this situation from birth and there, and being placed at the temple, and, and one of the prettiest entrances into the temple was good, and especially if you're a pilgrim and you're going to go in the temple. You want to go through, you know, we want to enter the best way into the city or wherever, you know. You want to get the good view when you drive into town or come into the temple. And then also, the Jewish people um, at this gate, their righteousness, what they viewed as a righteous act, was to give to those who were poor and in need. And so, yeah, people coming to be righteous before God and one of the things they get a, you know to prove their righteousness right there would you be begging and be able to help a beggar you know showing that they're righteous and so it was a good place to be and so he's there and and asking for alms and and he's been there you know and he's been carried there so he has a you know as a beggar a really good position there and this man's been lame from birth and you just you sit there and i can't help but wonder about this man this this gate was a common gate most likely peter and john both had walked by him before very possible jesus had walked by him before many times and you go okay so what's different about this time and what god's doing and you know, you can, you can sit there and you speculate why and where the heart is and all those things. You know, and sometimes it's where God's doing. God only knows this man's heart. Knows what would be good for this man's heart. Who knows what at the gate this man has heard? Jesus healing people. Now Jesus is gone. He's crucified, but yet he rose again. You know, all the discussions in and out of that temple he had heard and overheard. You ever you ever, you know, especially in a large crowd, if there's somebody begging and you get kind of blind to them at a while. You know, you don't look at them, you don't want to make eye contact, you walk by, and many times people I'm sure forget they're there and they overhear all kinds of things they shouldn't, you know? And or or and stuff. And so you can imagine what he had heard sitting there, time in and time out. And here he's there and he's asking for alms, and in verse three it says who, seen Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked them for alms. And so he's typical, right? They're coming up, he's asking, and and I, I, I don't think he had a, a great ton of thought about it. You know, somebody comes up, I ask. He's been doing this for years. It's routine. You know what I mean? Um, it wouldn't have been looked down upon. This is what was kind of expected. You know, in our culture, if you were to go out and I was to go out and beg, it would be a hard thing. <laughs> you know, I don't know if I could do it. You know, but this was a day-to-day life thing for him, and he's there, and he he asks. And and so there's a courtyard, there's kind of Solomon's porch area and a courtyard out there, and as they started to kind of talk, and after they were done with their conversations, kind of start coming in, you know, he's asking for alms as he sits there. And as this happens, and he he just asks typical, you know, verse 4 it says, And fixing his eyes on him with John and Peter said, Look at us. And so he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. So as they come up, he says, alms, please. And instead of just, you know, hoping to hear the jingle and the thing, eye contact, right? They, they look at him and say, hey, look at us. And so this beggar now is looking at them, going, the deal is closed. You know, if you're out somewhere and somebody comes up to you and asks, they're not asking like this. They look you in your face. They want you to look them in their eyes. If you're trying to avoid them and don't want to give them something the best, what do you try to do? Look away. You know, you ever pull up to an intersection and the guy's got the little spray bottle and squeegee or whatever? You know how you not get your car washed. Just make sure you don't make eye contact with the guy. If you make eye contact, he's coming over. He's, you know, there. In this case, when you say, look at us, this beggar's expecting to receive. The deal is closed, you know. When I go out and I, I bid a roof... Um, there, there's certain things you learn in selling a roof. When we get to where they start talking about the color of the roof, that means we're done with price. That means they've made their decision. They've moved on. They're, they're, we're, I'm getting a sign. Co- Not always, but generally, when they start talking about the color, you're now talking about signing a contract. They're making... They've made that decision. You know, that's a... You, know, you kind of look for those closing hints, you know, when you go through... Now you got this guy, and we're standing. He's expecting I'm going to get something from them, I, I, you know. And so in verse six it says, and Peter said to them, silver and gold I do not have. And, and it's interesting to think you sit here and you have this ministry going. And again, as we've gone through, you had the day of Pentecost. You have all these people coming to the faith and becoming believers. And as we go through Acts, it seems like. Um, you know, there's, you know, it said they continued for days, and these signs and wonders were happening. So this isn't like the next day, the next. This could have been a weeks apart. You know, this is kind of like highlights going through. And you would think, okay, so you have this going on. They're sharing their, their goods and these things. And I mean, somebody needs to sit down and talk to these guys. You have to get some people. You got to get some donor, donors committed. You got to, you got to have some funds to start this. I mean, if you're going to start this, uh, you know, Christianity biz, business venture, you need some funding. And these two guys don't got any silver or gold on them at all? I mean, you, you, you look at this from that point of view, and those things, it's just interesting to see, hey, we don't have anything on us. Plus, I don't think they looked like they should have anything on them. It's not like, oh, yeah, we forgot our wallets at home. They were fishermen, they didn't show up in ornate robes and stuff. It's kind of like, hold on and, and, and slow down and take a look, you know. And, and again, I'll use another roofing example here. I go out and I bid roofs. When I get out to a house and I'm bidding a roof I'm going up to the door, I get a little going, okay, where's this going? If I start seeing broken down cars in the road, the fence is falling down, the porch is falling over, and, and you're looking at it, and you get there and you're thinking there, and then especially when they want the most expensive roof. I don't do credit checks. If they don't pay me, I don't get paid, and I owe a supply house still. I'm like, I, you know, you can call me judgmental or whatever, but I start assessing things, going, how am I going to get paid on this if, if, you know, did somebody die? You inherit a ton of money. You win the lottery. I'm just, I mean, all these thoughts are going through, and there's been a couple times I've I was, you know, trusted, go on, trust somebody's word, and concerned, and they had the money. One, one big job we did up in the hills, I was literally praying through the whole thing, going, I know we're doing it, and we need the work, Lord, but if I don't get paid on this one, I don't, you know, it was scary, the, the condition of the property and those things, and I don't know what financially changed for them, but, you know, I know when she wrote the check, she said this is the biggest check she ever wrote, so, but it cleared the bank, you know, and, and so, you know, this guy's just saying what he's always said, right, and, and then he goes, hey, look at us, look at, We've not gotten any silver or gold. Do we look like we have money to give you? You know, and and I just think it's it's interesting to even where that is at. They they weren't, you know, all done up or neat. It's not like they had, you know, an official. Oh, you know, Peter's not sitting there all in a white robe with the gold thing, looking like the Pope or something. You know what I mean? Like oh, there's a religious. You know, they didn't have any religious symbols on them. They didn't have anything that should call them out and. You know, maybe this beggar, unlike me, had a lot more diversity training or something to, you know, figure it out. I can ask everybody equally and not make a judgment call like I might do when I'm looking at a roof. But it's just interesting to see that they did not have that. that that's not what was needed for ministry. Ultimately, and if you look back with me at verse 6 again, it says, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And here we go. Here is the kind of second most important thing. The first important thing is you have a beggar sitting there expecting to receive something. He's going to get something. He's expecting to receive. You know, and many times I think as we come into a situation or we come in with God, we ask but not expectantly. We expect the answer is going to be no. We, I mean, did you come into church this morning going, I'm expecting God to tell me something that's going to change my life today? That's going to either correct me, convict me, change the way I think, change the way my week's going to function next week, how I'm going to function, how I'm going to live. To come expectantly, then at the same time, what we see here, and that's what important is, Peter and Paul could only give them what they had. And what they had was important, and and, and you have to, you know, it's one of those things, I I, I keep. Can I give you what you don't have? Yeah, I think you can sometimes if you don't know you have it. But, but Peter and John, it's not like they had an experience to go, well, we were crippled and Jesus healed us. But no, we were sinners and God saved us and changed our lives. We, we have a relationship. We have the Holy Spirit. We've been sent out. We've, we've been seeing this power used again and again. We've been full of the Holy Spirit and seen what God can do with it and we can share that knowledge with you. We know what we have and what we can offer. You know, um... I was thinking about things, and, and, and if you could imagine, you know, you got an old, little old church there, and, and a you know, young man's there with his grandma at the front of the church, and there's a placard on front of it, you know, and it says, you know, such and such to Gladys, da-da-da, this, you know, little stone thing in front of the church there. And, and the young man asks the grandma, he goes, well, well, uh, why, why did they got a placard with her name on it? Well, she, 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 uh, when she passed away, she gave her house to the church. Oh, he goes, well, was it worth a lot? And the whole lady goes, well, actually, I knew Gladys well. And um, yes, but she didn't know it was. the little boy a little confused there. And goes, well, Gladys, she really didn't like the government. And she didn't have any kids. And when she died, she was going to be really furious if the government got a single dollar of her money. So she gave her house to the church. Well, the problem was her house was torn up and beat up and everything else. It was going to cost more to tear down than it was worth. But the good thing was her husband didn't like the government either, didn't trust banks, and put all the money in the walls. She didn't know it was there. When they went to tear it down, they found all the money. And so the church was very happy for a donation and put a nice little memorial plaque out front for her. You know, and you, you sit there and you, you kind of look at that, and sometimes I think God uses people... And it's like, how can you only share what you only don't have, right? Sometimes I think God uses people in our lives and they don't know what they're sharing, right? Or, or they almost go out there like this lady in a sense and, and they share by chance. Well, I'll give you something, Lord, but I really don't know what I have. I really don't slow down and think about what you've done for me and, and the grace you've been given. Peter being restored to Christ, seeing the love of Christ in those things and seeing what Christ did on the cross. He knew what he had and was willing to share it, and was intentionally to live it and share it. His purpose was for what it was there. It wasn't just by chance. And sometimes, you know, as we sit there and, and we look at this, and, and you see Peter knew what he had known. He was certain of it. There wasn't a question there wasn't an a doubt. And we see this, and we see that he was certain because look at verse 7, and it says, And he took him by his right hand and he lifted him up, and immediately his feet and his ankle borns received strength. It's not like Paul sat there, or you know, Peter was sitting there at the gate and goes, Hey, you know, there's this lame guy there, and if God heals him, you know, that's going to be a real witness. So let's try it. And you know, maybe we got a 50-50 chance. We'll just pull him up and see what happens, right? And if I pull him up and he'd try to catch him if it isn't going to work out. You no, know, oh no, he knew. He was certain. He had no doubt. He had a boldness. I don't, you know, Can you imagine being put in that situation at first? Either you know that you know that God's telling you to do this and heal this person, or it's going to turn out real bad. And I believe Peter, he knew that he knew what was going to happen. He had that relationship. He understood and could hear Jesus speaking through the Holy Spirit in his life. He had the boldness, and he knew that he knew. You know, that same young boy turns to his grandmother and says, What do you hope to give the church? And she replies, Well, I bring you to church every Sunday, don't I? You know, you sit there, and you look at the thing, and you go... Where, where are we at with that? What do you know and when do you share it? What value do you put in things? What's important? Well, I, what? In the church, you know, what do you know? What has God shown you? And sometimes, you know, we sit down and we think, okay, well, we give, we help with the food ministry, we help with the clothing ministry, we help with this or we help with that or we tithe or whatever. What has God given you? What has God given you? And, and you look at that, and it's interesting to really slow down and think, okay, what do you know? What do you understand that he's given you? Now, verse 8, it says, And so leaping, he stood, and he walked, and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. He was completely healed. If you've never walked from birth, and a doctor did surgery, giving you the ability to walk, what's the next step? Well, now we've got to give you muscle tone, tendance. We've got to train your mind with the nervous system. I mean, 30, 40 years not being able to walk. How, what, what damage would be there that doesn't exist? Nervous system, everything else that would have to come together to work. And he didn't get up and he learned to walk. He wasn't walking around like a baby giraffe or something. He's leaping and he's running around. I mean, he's excited. He's fully healed. There was... The miraculous, yes, in his legs and his bone ankles, and and Luke brings that out being a doctor, the the physical things, but also what had to be healed in his mind, his mindset, his thinking process, how that worked to be able to walk completely healed. And in verse 9 it says, And all the people saw him walking, praised God, and praising God. So this man, he gets healed, he's there, he's walking and leaping, and he's praising God. And you think, oh, of course he's praising God. Right? Could there have been a different response? Could he got up, stood there on his feet and go, oh man, now I'm going to have to get a job. Now I'm, you know, I was here, everybody felt for me. I I mean, it's obvious, everybody saw it, it's not like I can fake this. Thank you very much, you know. Now, I mean, I don't have any carpenter squirrels or nothing. I mean, been paralyzed. What do you think I'm going to do for a living? I mean, It sounds crazy. Man, I used to party, man. I mean, not party, man. I used to really party, you know what I mean? Yeah, but now I'm a Christian. I'm sorry, I hear that you're lame. Kind of like this lame man. I mean, honestly, you're acting lame. You're sitting there, and you're going, okay, something changes. And if that's your heart, and you're looking back to what? What you were before. Did God do something in your life And if he did, he's putting his hand out and saying, get up. Be done with it. Don't keep sitting there and begging, reminiscing about, yeah, the days when I used to beg. I remember on the Feast of Pentecost, there were so many people coming in there. Man, I made so much money. If that's, I mean, if your heart's back, there's something's wrong with your heart, something's off. Were you freed from something? Or did you, get, you think you got put in jail? Well, you know, I was free, but now Jesus locked me up with all these rules. It's so one of those things to think of. And if you've been freed, where's the joy? You know, you, you, you see when the Christmas season comes up and you have, you know, the, the Christmas stories and that thing and you kind of have the Ebenezer Scrooge what if story ghost thing, you know, taking them around all that. Could you imagine what happened if you didn't get saved where your life would be? Would anybody want a glimpse of where that's at? Some of us, it might be the cemetery. <laughs> you know, you slow down and you look at those things and you go, okay, am I healed? Am I created? What, what's there? What do I know? And if I know this, am I praising God? Or do I sit here and go, well, you know, this walking thing's okay, God, but it wasn't everything I cracked up to be, you know? I'm not going to be excited and we can over time we kind of get that way with stuff oh I gotta pick up my cross and follow Jesus today verse 10 it says and then they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him and so now as the people see this man healed and you see this other group of people, bystanders, they see the signs and wonders. And the great and awesome thing about this guy who gets healed, he's not sitting there going, oh, yay, Peter, yay, John. He's going, yay, look what God did. Jesus Nazareth, he's sitting there. And it happens and these people are seeing it and they're amazed at what has happened. You think with everything going on, in the last three years of the ministry of Jesus and all these things, it wouldn't be that amazing, right? It's like God's been doing all this crazy stuff already, you know? And here yet they're sitting there amazed to see this happening, this going on. Verse 11, And now as the lame man who was healed, held on to Peter and John, and all the people ran together, to them in the porch which is called Solomon were greatly amazed. So this 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 lame man I believe is really holding on to Peter and John there because the crowd is is rushing them at this point. The crowd is pushing. If they were headed into the temple through the gate of beautiful the temple this this porch of Solomon is not on the inside it's on the outside of the temple. That means the people were coming out so much they got pushed. It's like fight in high school or whatever everybody's running that way. You know, this crowd and, and going on and this praise is going on. And immediately, Peter, when he saw it, responded to the people, Men of Israel, do not marvel at this, or why look so intently at us, as though by our power or our godliness we have made this man walk. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorifies his son, or his servant, Jesus. When you look at this and you sit there, the important thing is Jesus was doing it, God was working through it. It wasn't through their own plan, their own putting together, their own um, man's coming up with things to put this together and come up with a scheme. It was truly, clearly God working. And Peter sits here and says, why do you marvel at this? Why do you marvel at... This? It's interesting to see his mindset in this with what's going on with him knowing God, this should not be strange. This shouldn't be something to marvel at. This should be normal. This should be normal. And, and sometimes when you, you end up... There's, there's certain things going on, serving sometimes, and... and um. There's certain things that just shouldn't be marvelled at; they should be commonplace. Um, we have and, and pray accordingly. I, I usually don't share too much sometimes, but there's there's some people, and and we'll we'll walk through each step of it and see and really pray about if we should or not. But there's a ministry that was involved with John and Mona coming to our home that want to do a little documentary thing on it. What's happened, and that's cool. I'm glad that you know maybe you share it, maybe you encourage some people. What's sad is that it's gotten some people's attention in these ministries, and it's not commonplace. How is that not commonplace? How is not loving, being hospitable to people, and, and just seeking God in that way not commonplace? It's sad to see. And so... Again, he's sitting here in that same way, marveling at the Why are you marveling at this? This should be commonplace. This should be part of day-to-day life. This should be common. And and that really comes down and it's kind of convicting to us because I guarantee you if I was sitting here and we're praying and some guy was in a wheelchair and stood up, we'd all be marveling in here, wouldn't we? Like, whoa, you know, we'd be like call the newspaper, put it on YouTube, something like that, you know, And and, you know. All the crazy stuff that goes along with that, but God, God has done miraculous things. God's done miraculous things in my life. Things I'm blown away. Probably one of the most miraculous things He's done was in you know in this last year, in the, in the church where I just wouldn't have expected it. But it should be commonplace in that sense, and, and I think the key ingredients are, are those things here. We should be number one, expect it. Number two. To know where it is. What, what is the offering? It's not money. It's, it's knowing what God does. It's knowing it. It's, it's being aware of what God It's the knowing of who God is and how he's working in those things. It wasn't, it wasn't Peter's godliness, Peter and John's godliness here. Their power of godliness, their self-righteousness, their level of faith they had. It wasn't their knowledge of God, but them knowing God and his heart and how he was working. It wasn't the faith that was in them, but the faith that was in their lives as they were living it each and every day. You know, if if this power of healing was a gift of the Holy Spirit given to Paul at his own will, you would assume his wife looked like he was 28 until the day he died. Right? Like, if you could just go around healing anybody, my wife's going to look like she's 28. Those wrinkles are healed in the name of Jesus. I mean... You wouldn't have, right? If that's the way it is, if it's based on faith, and this is Peter, who's gonna anybody anybody wanted to the date the apostle Peter would have enough faith. I mean, it wasn't based on that. It was based on what God is doing in the time He was doing it in. You know, and so why don't we see more signs and wonders? You know, we see counterfeit stuff on TV, right? You got the guy up there and he's doing this and that and this. I got a question: Why is there counterfeit signs and wonders? If I give you a $100 counterfeit $100 bill, why do I bother making a counterfeit $100 bill? There has to be a real one. You can't have counterfeit if there isn't something real. God is working. There are real things out there. So there's also the other side of, yeah, we see all this crazy counterfeit stuff. But also there must be something real out there. And there must be something and and be more normal. And, And the question is, okay, so, so, what ingredients are we lacking? Well, maybe we need to be expecting things from the Lord. Maybe we need to be expecting Him to work. May, maybe we need to uh, be current with Jesus in that and our knowledge of Him and, and real with who we are and the situation we're brought out of where, where we, we are joyful for what He's doing, where we know what, literally, not know Him in the sense of biblical knowledge and all that stuff. As much as knowing what he's done for us and being real with it. I mean, how many times are you transparent when you come up to somebody? If you, you know, go back to a class reunion, oh, yeah, I found out I was a horrible sinner and got saved. How are you doing? I mean, no, you could bring out your job or something like that, right? But the the honesty of who we are, man, I'm a sinner saved by God's grace and God's amazing and what He's doing and I was reading my Bible yesterday and this was going on and He spoke to me, man, and He convicted me, He called me out and I need to stop sinning in this area. And You know, what does that really look like? To live it, to be living intentionally and then when God calls us to do something to expect He's going to work and respond and obey boldly when the Holy Spirit prompts And sometimes those things are hard, you know? You know, when you sat down, if we were to sit down and go, okay, tell me what needs we see that need to be met. What needs are here in town? Where's the greatest need in Manteca? Well, there's a the homeless over here, and we see all those needs. And wow, that's such a huge problem. in the city, you know, the, the, the city homeless summits and all those things are being discussed to how we solve it. And some people, oh, it's too big. It's never going to happen. And, you know, some, well, we got to get rid of it. You know, we've got to do it all. And, you know, all these different things. Well, I was in a part of town over towards Lathrop yesterday with a nice dinner thing in a very nice neighborhood. Very nice neighborhood, very nice little clubhouse, beautiful. And I see such great need there. Well, first thought is when you don't see money, you see, well, need. Well, what's a real need? If money and silver and gold, I have none, and that does not matter, what is the greatest need here in town? Just because somebody has money and is well off doesn't mean they don't have need. doesn't mean that ministry or a desire for a ministry to be over in that place or, or, or is any less and maybe even harder because at least, you know, If you're homeless, pushing a cart, you realize your need. I remember doing a roof in town. I was working with a contractor and as he was sitting there and we we had to make some decision, he goes, man, don't worry about it. After 12 o'clock, I'll get an approval on it. I said, so do I need to start doing this extra work now? He goes, yeah, but just after 12, I'll get approval. Looked at him, he goes, this guy comes home slosh drunk at noon every day. We'll get it approved, we'll go down the road. Okay. And it was the case, the guy, very successful, I mean, a house on the river, boats, I mean, you know, nobody's going to debate that guy, that guy has the life. His kids had houses bigger than we could imagine, at 34, with no income, I mean, like, right? You said, wow, and then at the same time, I'm down in Stockton, down near one of the the canals over there, you know, and I met a lady. I was talking to her, and she goes, yeah, this and this and this, and I said, oh, well, I'm working around the job, maybe I'll stop by, she, oh, if you're going to stop by, come by before noon. Like, why? By noon, I found something to get wasted on, and I'm going to be gone. You don't want to talk to me then. Which was the greater need? One person, he thinks he's living the life, and everybody would desire to be him and tell him he's doing great. This other guy at least knows she has a need. At least she was willing to listen to the gospel and those things. You know What is the greatest need, and, and what, how are we going to meet that need? It's not silver and gold. You have everything you need, if you've come in here and you've believed in the name of Jesus Christ, what else do you need? If I turned around and you were given money, how, how much is that going to help you? You give a homeless person money, how much is it going to help you? You give a rich, what is that going to help? You know, what if I told you you could have a 90% chance of living, losing all your friends and family? Does sound, that sound good? How about I'll give you another sales pitch on this little thing here. I'll give you a 45% chance you could lose all your money and in income. Does it sound good yet? Okay. Um, how about a 36% chance of becoming obese and overweight? Yep, that's your chances if you win the lottery, guys. <laughs> Should they do that? Like, you know, you get the medical commercial, take this pill for your sleeping apnea. It could cause death, you know, all these other horrible things. Could you imagine that on the lottery? Like... Yes, you could win the lottery. It's up to six some million dollars. You have a percentage chance of losing all your friends. This and these are the side effects of winning the lottery. You know, <laughs> I think it'd be great. But those are just some of the things. You sit there and you go, okay, money doesn't solve it. We know money doesn't solve it. It isn't going to solve it. What's going to solve it? You see these great needs and how do you meet those needs? Where do you begin? First it begins in what, what has God done in your heart and what has God done in your life? Are you willing to be open and share that? And, and have you settled those things? Do you celebrate God for what he's done? Or are you sitting there going, man, I wish I was still lame. I wish I was still take it out. I don't understand this. And if your mind sets off on God, help me, change my mind. I need, I, need a, I need a miracle. I'm expecting to receive from you a different way of thinking. I need a clear view. I'm expecting to be able to see the truth in this world and life. I want to see what you're doing. I want to see... I want to be, when I'm walking through a situation, no matter how many people are in whatever situation, you give me wisdom to speak to the one. I want to be part of that. I don't want to just be unknowingly used by you. I want to know that I know, and I want to have certainty. I mean, I want to have boldness. I want to know your heart so well that I can just have boldness to pull somebody out of their wheelchair if needed or whatever to stand on their feet. You know? You sit there and you look at those things, and you look at these these things, and they're a challenge to us, in that. And that. I, and I believe we lack in these things. That's why we don't see the signs and the wonders in those things. We just don't because we're not expecting it. We, we, we're we, very reliant on science and this and that. You know, do we pray for miraculous healing or the doctors do a good job? Well, pray for both. But really it comes down to it really challenges me in some areas. You know, one of the things I think was probably the biggest challenge to me and, and still kind of um, just Floats around in my head and trying to, not trying to, but not wanting it to pass without a, a thought or, or, you know, wonder and prayer. We, were, we had um, uh, a family staying with us. Um, the daughter, uh, the, you know, the, the husband and wife, um, the, the daughter, her, her dad was no longer living with them. Years ago, he, at a point, uh, left his job, left everything, and ended up living homeless. And she hadn't seen her dad in years. And um, he was you know out using drugs somewhere in San Francisco. The last thing they knew is they, they did a missing person's report, and they found out he was arrested three years ago somewhere in San Francisco on drugs. And you know, this, my desire was, man, God, this, this young girl she needs she needs a, her dad, she needs a godly dad. And I, I can't be that for her I'm not her dad, and that's what she needs. And, and I remember praying about it and going, man, maybe we go look for this guy. I know Anthony with the homeless man, maybe we go look, maybe I put some flyers out where I'd begin to put some flyers out for this guy in San Francisco or something, maybe we could do that. But God, that's a needle in a haystack, and who knows if he's in there. God, if you wanted to do this, you'd have to be the center of it. You'd have to be the center of it, and I don't want to be, oh, I went and found her dad either. It needs to be clearly you. If we are, you know, that. So we're over there for Ramona's birthday, so that's probably around January 21st-ish, 23rd, 24th, right over in that, what, 22nd? Well, I don't know if it was on her day, it was for about that week. So we're over there, we're in Chinatown, we're walking, I've walked by, I don't know how many homeless people in San Francisco without even asking, and I had a thought, maybe we should ask, maybe I could ask one if somebody knew one, right? And we got out down near Pier 39, we started to walk around, I have my van, so we can't park anywhere because it's too tall, so you got to park on a street. Good luck. And so we found a parking spot back kind of this area. And uh, there's a parking structure in Pier 39 and Little Triangle Street. And there's an alleyway between the two buildings. And we were going to go down around this way. We getting out with the kids and everything. And I looked at Heidi. and said, oh, let's go this way. There's an alleyway. we will just cut through there and we'll be over there real quick. And so as we're cutting through, we walk by. There's a homeless lady there and some homeless guy. And I walked by a couple feet. And I looked at Heidi. and said, here, grab a Leah. I just have to ask if he knows. I turn around and it's him. It's her dad, and I'm like, "You're Jay," and I'm like, call, you know. And he's sitting there with his eyes. I'm like, "No, your daughter's been living with her. Look, I got a picture of you two together on my phone here. I, that's you. I mean, and, and if I didn't think he had a knife, I would have forced him into my van and left. I like, gave him my card, and made sure he had a couple, jammed him in his packs. I like, call me. I mean, if God is obviously trying to get you, God obviously wants to reach you and, and, and wants to restore you. I mean, I mean, how else? I mean, you're the first guy I turn around and talk to and it's you. It's insane. And um, we haven't really heard too much since then. I know uh, I think one of her sisters or aunts ran into him and her aunt ran into him and's like, here, and gave him my card again. So, you know, I don't know where that's going to end. And I'm just going, God, what is? why that and then nothing? Like, where's the rejoicing Lord? You know, I'm waiting for that, that aspect of it. But what it did show me really clearly, God does amazing miraculous things to this day what i did was it was uh, it was interesting i go man there was nothing about me i didn't want to be any uh, you know it wasn't about oh tim's gonna go find him Tim went in, uh, tim's plan tim i didn't even you know if i would have planned a trip to go find him probably wouldn't have found him we just happened to be there the truth of the matter was i wasn't even planning to ask anybody and i just passed and it was like god I just thought, okay, God, I at least need to ask one person. Lord, I'll obey and I'll ask this one guy. You know, that's not why we're there. You know, if it was my plan, it would have failed in a heartbeat. But it was God's plan and what he was doing. And and that's, you sit down and you look at these things. And I knew, God, if you want to find this man, you can. Even if it was just to let this girl know that her dad was alive and okay. And more importantly, that God knows where he is. And God's faithful and God's going to pursue him to the end. Even if it's just those things. You know, and you, so you see that and, and you look at those different things in your lives and you slow down and go, okay, where are we at with these things? Where are we at with these things? There's a story, perhaps true, I've heard it several different ways and some actually have some uh, popes named. But there was a humble monk walking into the Roman Catholic, Catholic cathedral at the time in the Middle Ages when Rome was at the, the height of its power and zeal and influence and prestige and wealth. And the cardinal pointed out to this humble monk all the surroundings and all the silver and gold. And he goes, we can no longer say silver and gold, we have none. And the monk replied, but neither can you say in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And it's interesting to think how many times we've had excuses. I've had excuses for doing ministry because of the silver and gold. God, I can't. I don't have. I lack. And no, what I do have, I can offer. And the only thing that matters is that. You know, I was was talking with um, John at DCA yesterday as he's getting out soon, and his, you know, main drive and concern is, man, I'm a dad. I got to make money. I got to get working. And those things and just talking through those things with them and going, yeah, those, those things are important. Money is important. But, you know, the biggest step is being a dad, being godly, being in the word. You know what I mean? And he's said, yeah, but, I, you know, I got this. Or what about the Navy? Or what about these other options? I mean, young dad, you know, you imagine the pressure of wanting to be a good father and take care of your family. Heavy thing to stress about, and you know, as we sit there, and one of the other cadres who've been sharing with him, talking about, you know, just trust God, let go, and trust God in these things. Got to use uh, Wayne's illustration. If you ask, or you can ask Wayne another time about eggs and bacon for breakfast. But um, talking with him, and uh, as you're sitting there and, you, and you're talking about those things, and I asked, just come on, okay? So how much, how much, how much for Mona and Aaliyah? How much would you? How much money would it take for you to never talk to him again? Look, I me. Mean, you're crazy there's an amount of money I'd ever do, then you're nuts. I said, okay. So what's important? Providing all the money in the world, that isn't important. What's important? What's important is that they know God. That no matter what happens, there's there. You meet a homeless person, their greatest need is what? They're on the street in this. What do you think their greatest need is? When I meet somebody on the street, I'm thinking, okay, there's mental illness, addiction, God. from. What is that person's greatest need? I make the mistake of making a judgment instead of just going. What is that great person's greatest need? What if you sat there and you gave that homeless person money, and 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 you know they they were now going to have them, you know you prayed for them. Their mind was healed, where they were going to be able to hold a great job somewhere and make a lot of money. And two seconds later, they get hit by a bus. Does any of that matter? Now, what if you share the simple fact of God's gospel that He loves them, that God's working. God's going to be faithful to them, number one. God's always been faithful to me. doesn't mean they're going to be ever necessarily socially acceptable or whatever as far as making a career or a job, which shouldn't be our goal by any means. But what is important? If you're going to give an inheritance to your kids and it's the gospel and the true relationship of God you have or to anyone else, last time I checked, heaven's got a pretty good retirement program. You know, I think a good, nice wedding feast, a mansion, is worth a lot more than anything you can give somebody here in physical gold and everything. When you see the world heating, sometimes you can look at the needs and the needs around us and you think, oh, they're so overwhelming. Instead of realizing you're the only one, not the only one, the church, and God's the only one that has the answer. And most likely, out of very few people, you're the only one with the solution. It's not a solution necessarily they want even for themselves or want to hear, but that's the truth. You walk into the homeless, oh, we have this huge homeless. What these people need is to get saved. And city council, most of you, you know what you guys need to do? Get saved. (laughs) I mean, that's how you solve the problem. You know, the problem isn't here and now. This life is short, and those things. And the thing is, when you sit down, you realize, as Peter's here, don't marvel at it. God wants to change lives in miraculous ways. And the healing of the feet, do you think... I guarantee you, Peter was probably so much less impressed by this guy standing up and walking and jumping for joy as the thousands of people that accepted Christ and were getting baptized the days previous. Physical healing, ooh, those are exciting. You can see them. A changed life, that takes time. But that's so much more exciting. Generations and those things. And so, again, the key ingredients... We should be sharing what we have. We have everything we need in Christ and we should be sharing it. We should be expecting God to do amazing things in people's life. When you share the gospel, most of the time we go out with Eve, the thought is, well, we're going to go out, we're not going to find anybody, and every time God... there people expecting. I mean, I, I can't help to remember the time, and I've shared this before. We're two blocks away. We go out of E class, we're two blocks away. God, to show us where we're going to go. We're, we're not going to drive somewhere. Let's just go walk through the neighborhood, see if anybody's there. We're walking along, a guy on a bicycle riding down the crib the other way, angles at us, comes over to us and says, hi. Hi, oh, we're out saying this and this and this. Man, I haven't been sleeping for three days, man. I had a friend die. I'm worried if there's a God or not and all this and that. Cool, that's what we're here to tell you about. I mean, it's like, why do we think that's amazing? There's people questioning things, looking for answers. You know, if we were on the ball, maybe we wouldn't have been looking for two days. I don't know. And what is God doing? Where has he called you? He can put those people together and the timing on those things. To know his heart, to be certain of it. You know, it's amazing sometimes, I think we get there so often, you just, you know, well, I'm not sure about this, and I'm not sure about that. And it's like, make sure you're, if you're right next to God, it's not a hard thing to figure out. Me and my wife, you ever get, when you you know you get old and married, there's certain things you can't do anymore? Like you cannot pay a Pictionary together because it's unfair? I mean, my parents would be sitting there, and my mom would draw a line, and my dad would name it. It's like, that's not right. You guys have been married too long. You how do you draw a line and say oxygen line? I mean, what the heck? You know, it's just not fair. Right? You get to know each other. There's things you do. You finish each other's sentences, all this, the things, you know. Heidi rolls her eyes when I tell her the same story again. She's heard it a thousand times, you know. Those, those things. Is that Are you that way with God and your relationship with God where you're so current and it's like, oh, God wants me. I don't got a question if I need to share the gospel with that person. And it's evident. I know he's moving that way. I encourage you guys in those areas and, and just even us as a church. you know, Not that we go off seeking signs and wonders, but we go seeking and being part of the signs and wonders God's doing. Because God's going to do things. It's a lot more uh, fun and amazing and, and getting to know God's heart when you're actually actively part of it, a knowing participant. You know, I don't want to just be an unknowing participant in what God's doing in this world and in lives. So let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for who you are and how you work, God, and that you do care just so much for each and every need out there in person and that you have met every need and the greatest need, Father, for you and salvation for all of eternity. That you've you've just freed us from just the sin, the bondage, and the destruction that has come into this world, God. We thank you for that. Thank you for who you are. God, help us just to be a light and just have a joy, Father, in what you've done in our lives we'd be just, just excited for what you've done and what you're doing in our lives and how you're directing us. God, that you've even have just kind of called us out and challenged us in this way. How exciting that you you call us worthy enough to be used in these ways. We love you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.